Um, good morning. How's everybody? Great, good, wonderful. Buenos dias. Sí, sí. Good morning. Um, it is uh, Palm Sunday, as Rob opened up, up uh, this morning. It's my favorite time of year. This is my favorite week uh, out of the entire year. I feel as though Andy Williams should probably be cued singing It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. But that might remind some of you about Christmas and winter and snow, and some of you are still a little bit, a little bit bitter about that. So before I use up my daily allotment of getting in trouble, how's about if I just pray? Sound good? Good. Father, thank you for this morning that you have given us. Thank you, God, um, that we can gather this morning, um, Lord, to create space in our lives and in our world to hear from you. Father, we pray that you would speak clearly into our our hearts this morning. Lord, allow us to um, be able to be equipped and empowered, Lord, to be filled with you again, be sent out. Pray this in your name. Amen. How many of you have ever read the book or seen the movie The Great Gatsby? Show of hands. Great Gatsby. Awesome. I've only ever seen the movie. Um, And some of you might think, oh, that's really unfortunate. The, The book is really great. But the way that I look at it is I've saved about 13 to 14 hours of my life by watching a movie, and it gives me more time to watch another movie of a book that I probably will never read. If you know anything about the story, you obviously know that, and I apologize if you really want to see the movie and you've never read the book, because there's going to be spoiler alerts through this introduction. So I apologize ahead of time, just putting that out there. <clears throat> you know that the story is wrapped around Jay Gatsby. Now, The thing about this guy is no one knows where he came from. No one knows why he's so wealthy. There's all this misinformation being sent out regarding him. Now, again, I didn't read the book, so I have no idea if this happens in the book or not. But in the movie, in the movie, uh, one of the opening scenes is there's a ton of people at Jay Gatsby's house, and they are rocking. It's the most incredible party that's been going on. DJ O should have been there. (laughs) I'm just saying. Um... And you start hearing all these whispers and all these rumors about where this guy came from. He's a spy. He's an assassin. He's killed someone in cold blood. He went to Oxford. He has this incredible story of of rags to riches. But no one really has any idea of where this guy is from. But what we do know is that he throws a rockin' party. And people love him for it. There's something mysterious about him, something that's attractive about him in that way. People are naturally drawn to this guy. You fast forward through the story, and we realize that the reason that he's throwing these parties is because he's trying to win back the love of his life. He bought a house right across the bay from where she lives, and these parties are being thrown with the hope that she would find herself there one day, and they able to reconnect and rekindle whatever was lost years ago. Now, As the story continues to unfold, we know that at the end, this guy who was able to fill his humongous mansion to capacity is a guy that's left completely alone. More misguided information comes out about him. He's believed to to have been having an affair with a married woman. And this married woman, she, you know, it's found out that you know, someone is having an affair with her. She ends up dying in a car accident that actually was that where his car was involved, but he wasn't driving. 
But all the blame is put on him. He's, he's the man that's, and he has been having an affair, but it's just not with that woman. And his car actually did end up killing her in an accident, but he wasn't the driver. So all this misinformation gets out about this guy. And, and a guy, it's incredible, a guy that was beloved by the people, whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, a guy that was beloved by the people at the end of his life when he's shot and killed by this husband of this woman that believes this is the man that she's been having an affair with, he is completely alone. No one mourns his death. No one cares to show up, except for maybe the press. No one cares. Now, I think about that story, and I think about my own life, and maybe you can resonate with some of, some of this. You resonate with the fact that there have been people in our lives that have come our way that we've probably misjudged. How many of you have ever felt that way, right? Before you really know someone, before you really get to know someone, you misjudge who they are. Maybe you have misinformation. Some of you are laughing. This might have happened to you last week. Um, <laughs> you, you, before you get to really know someone, you've already made a judgment call about who they are, whether it be their status uh, in life, economic status, where their background is, what their education is, um, perhaps just personality clashes and attitude. You've already created a judgment. Cast judgment on someone that you don't even know. Right? And if you think that's just too severe, if you think to yourself, well, you know, I don't really like to judge people, that's not how I am, think back to maybe this past week where you caught in a conversation with a spouse of yours that perhaps you came to the table with misguided information. Maybe your kids, maybe your, your kids' teachers. Some of you are looking at each other laughing. Um, maybe someone at work. Have you ever been caught in a moment where you bring something to the table misguided information, as the story becomes a little more clear, a little more full, a little more colorful, oops, my bad. See, when you said that, I was thinking this, and I, if I would have just asked, done a little more research, maybe come at you a little more patiently, I would have gotten this information, this, this thing wouldn't have blown out of proportion. Some of you can probably resonate with some of that. What about spiritually? What about with God? Have there been moments in your journey of walking with God where you come at God with misguided information? Maybe you've believed something about God that's completely untrue. Maybe you've Come at God and as you understand the fuller, clearer picture of who God is, there's things in your life that begin to change. It happens, right? Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're just looking into this Jesus thing and you've already come to the table with these, this misguided information, incomplete information. And maybe deep down in your heart, you're... you're you're begging for God to prove you wrong. Yet you already come to the table with misguided information. Our passage today will hopefully shed some light into some of this. See, because people, even back then, no matter who they were, were always walking through life constantly being 
uh, changing, having to change their misguided information on God. See, this is what these Kairos moments are about. Some of you might have heard that for the first time when Rob was praying about it. Kairos moment, what is that? These are moments where God intervenes. I'm, I'm walking along life. I have this trajectory of, of life that I'm on. And God intervenes because he wants to change something. He wants to transform something. He wants to give us new information on who he is. And so we wrestle through these questions. Who is God? Who am I? Who is Jesus? What has he done? What does this mean? What is God trying to say? And now what is this new trajectory that God wants to set me on? This new course that God wants for me. So we're going to look into some of that this morning. If you want to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start off in verse 1. I'll give you guys a sec to get there. If you have a blue Bible, it's on page 591. 591. So it says this. Matthew 21, verse 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to a town came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, The people of Jerusalem... Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This week is uh, Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. This is where we get that term from in the passage. And the, the week that we're about to journey on together as a community uh, is a week that Jesus has been building up to his entire life and ministry. This week is a culmination of everything that Jesus has been sent on earth to do. Now here's, here's the thing about Jesus as we've been looking at him since we you know, started our, ch- our church community and over the past number of weeks, we know, and the people back then, they knew that there was something beyond special about Jesus. They looked at Jesus and they said, there goes a man marked for greatness. Right? And how, how could we disagree with that? I mean, the, the things that we've studied about Jesus. Jesus has been brought people who were paralyzed. And just by saying it, these people were healed. These people got up. They, they picked up their mat. They started to walk. They started to run. They could hop. They could jump. They could do all the things that they couldn't do for years, potentially their entire lives. Two weeks ago, we, we, we see that there's a blind man that Jesus encounters. 
man that could not see. And Jesus heals him immediately. Last week, we read part of the narrative where Jesus encounters a man who was dead for days, buried, and Jesus brings him back to life. Throughout the Gospels, we read about how Jesus brought teaching that had new life in it. How many of you have encountered, had a situation where you encountered someone that spoke truth? Right? That's really honest. And deep in your soul, you're like, wow, how refreshing is just this person's honesty and their truth? Probably felt like that as he taught people. So we see Jesus doing all of these things. And without a shadow of a doubt, people looked at his life and said, there goes a man who is marked for greatness. So that's Jesus. Now, what's going on in history at this time is that the Roman Empire is the superpower of the time. The Roman Empire rules that entire area, and they rule over the people of Israel. And the people of Israel had been hoping for, they've been reading about it, they've been thinking about it. It's, it, it's a part of them as people. One day, God will bring us freedom and liberation. One day, once again, we will be able to be a nation unto ourselves, free to worship God. And from what we read and what we understand, there is a man who's supposed, there's someone who's supposed to come and bring that freedom with him. We don't know who he is. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know the timing of that. But wow, this day and age would be a really good time for him to show up. See, the Roman Empire in Rome, they, it, it, signif- it was like the epitome of sin. It was the epitome of oppression. It was the epitome of evil. For the people of Israel, they saw these people and they were like, those people, h- how could we live under their rule? They're not like us. Their customs aren't our customs. Their traditions aren't our traditions. Their God isn't our God. What a great time in history for someone to show up and bring that freedom that we're longing for and we're hoping for. And if you marry these two things together, who Jesus has been for three years and, and the tension that exists in, throughout this entire country, it's not hard to imagine that the people immediately begin to see Jesus and say, he's that guy. There's a man that has brought life and hope to a level that has never been seen throughout history. I think he could be the one. He could very well be that one. And so deep within people's souls, they're experiencing this. They're asking these questions. They're thinking these things. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem. says from the Mount of Olives, which is the farthest point uh, where Jerusalem goes. That's like the outskirts of the cities. Jesus hops on a donkey, on a colt, baby donkey. And he comes riding into Jerusalem. And you can only imagine, thinking now about the history, thinking now about the fact that there's all these people that are walking down with Jesus. And all of a sudden, they all start taking off their garments. They all start taking branches off the trees. They all start saying all this stuff. And a commotion and an uproar starts to take place. And people are reminded, this is not the only time in history that a king has ridden down into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
If you take a time out with me for a second, King Solomon was the third king of Israel. King Solomon was King David's son. King David was the most beloved king in all of Israel, loved by the people, loved by God. And David had this idea, I want to build a temple for God. I want there to be a temple for God that, where he can stay and, and, and his people can know that that's where they can go find him. But God doesn't grant David his request. He says, David, your life, your reign, your, your, your reign as king has been marred by way too many wars, way too many battles. Too many people have died in your hands. You're, you're not going to build me my temple. But your son, King Solomon, his reign will be one of peace. We're going to... Ha- when he becomes king, he'll make, I'll, I'll have him build me the temple. So as David gets older and it's time to pass the baton onto his king, another one of David's sons rise up says, I'm going to be king. I'm going to take this kingdom by force. My father's old. My father's weak. None of the other brothers around me can, can, can do a good job. I'm going to take it myself. David finds out about this. Immediately, installs Solomon as king, has Solomon jump on his donkey and ride in through Jerusalem. See, the donkey is no mistake. Let's fast forward back here into this passage. You mean, you can imagine the scene that's, about, that's starting to take place. The entire city is in an uproar and they see Jesus coming from the farthest place of Jerusalem. He's riding down on this donkey. What's going on? Why is everybody shouting, why are we all yelling? I don't know why we're all yelling. Movie quote. I don't know why we're all yelling. Oh, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Yeah, and, he, and he's, he's, he's riding in. He's riding in. No way. I see him. I see him. He's over there. Jesus. He's on his white stallion. He's on a brown, gray donkey. And he's not so much riding as like walking slowly. Gingerly. That's kind of weird. How long are we supposed to shout for? That's really far away. The expectation of of what is, is immediately not being met. Well, that's okay. Sometimes I go to Hertz, and they they ran out of horses. And I guess I got to get the donkey. I show up, I want the Camaro, they give me a Nissan Versa. It's not loud, but I guess it gets great gas mileage. The expectation of what should be is not being met. He's not on a white stallion. See, the donkey is no, um, that's so funny, the donkey is no accident. The donkey is no mistake. The stable didn't run out of horses. Jesus knew exactly how he was entering into Jerusalem. See, the donkey here signifies peace. Liberators, that want to bring in freedom and victory, if they want war, they show up on a war horse. But if they want peace, they enter in the donkey. Solomon's reign would be one of peace. That's how it came about. Jesus' reign would be one of peace. But it's not what the people wanted. It's not what they were desiring. 
as this week unfolds, we celebrate Good Friday. Spoiler alert, in case you don't know the story. Good Friday, we remember Jesus dying on the cross. And you can imagine that these people that were shouting to the top of their lungs, Jesus is here, Jesus is coming, were probably sitting around their table on Saturday morning thinking to themselves, wow, did we ever miss it? Poor guy. We, we wanted him to be king. How could I ever be so wrong about this Jesus guy? He was no warrior. I mean, that, that, that guy did not know how to rise up an army. The people completely missed it. We see this passage, and in in, in, if you have the blue Bible, it's labeled as the triumphant entry. As the week unfolds, we realize that was this really that triumphant of an entry? People were ready. People had his back. Jesus didn't take advantage of it. His disciples didn't get it. The crowds didn't get it. Let's flip over real quick to Luke chapter 19. I want to kind of give you the full picture here, since we're talking about full pictures. Page 631 in the Blue Bible. Luke 19, verse 41. All four Gospels have the part of the narrative that we just read about the cult and Jesus writing in, but this is the only one that has this aspect of it. So Jesus is still on the donkey. says in 41, But... As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of you, that you of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts, ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Now we're kind of confused here because reality is that's not the way the story should have played out. Why is it the people's fault? Jesus? How come you're not happy with with the celebration? Look how people loved you. Look at, look at how they, they express their allegiance to you. Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? See, Jesus came to start a revolution. He did. Is what the people said about Jesus right? It was right. Did he come in the name of the Lord? Yeah. Was he the son of David? Yes. Did he come to start a battle? He sure did. But the revolution that Jesus came to start was not a revolution against Rome. It was a revolution against the sin, the brokenness, the death, that, and the evil that exists in each one of us. He came to bring freedom. He came to bring victory. But it was going to happen on God's terms, 
not ours. Jesus knew exactly what his entry was the mark and the beginning of, what it was signifying, where he was going. He knew that he was going to go to the cross to die. But it's not what the people wanted. I look at this passage and it begs me to ask the question, who is the Jesus that I'm following? Who is the Jesus that I'm building up in my mind and in my heart? Let me push it a little further. Am I creating a Jesus for myself that makes me feel comfortable? Am I creating a Jesus for myself that fits neatly in all the categories of my life? Am I creating for myself a Jesus that is way more interested in meeting all of my consumeristic, materialistic, and individualistic needs? Am I really all that interested in following the Jesus that I see in the Bible? Or do I only connect with what's comfortable and safe for me? See, this is what these Kairos moments are about. This is why we're, we're like pushing them, pushing this so hard over the course of these last number of weeks. Because these Kairos moments are not about me embracing what works for me, what fits my time, my calendar, my schedule, my finances. But it's surrendering to exactly who God is and what God wants for me what God wants of me. As we've been talking about these Kairos moments, um, as a staff, we've been talking about this for a little bit longer. A lot of you, ha- you know, have heard about this conference that a, b- a bunch of us were at. Um, I was supposed to be at. Um, I was in St. Thomas. What? What? Ah, can't wait till it's 95. Um, Kairos moments. Okay, so going through Kairos moments. We, we, we've been talking about this for a while. So about, we've been talking about it on a Sunday morning for about a month or so. A couple of weeks before that, I'm driving in my car, minding my own business, doing my own. I'm letting people cut in front of me. I'm letting people merge in front of me, being a really nice guy. I'm on my way to the office, and I get this overwhelming thought, Omar. There is something in your life that has been unresolved for a decade now. It's about time that you start to deal with this thing. Okay? And what would that be? Uh, Over 10 years ago, I had this really bad church experience. A lot of you guys can probably connect with this. Really bad church experience. The church that I grew grew up in, we were having a meeting. And apparently, I had said something that I, had, that I didn't say. I offended someone. I said something as the meeting was ending that of- offended someone, someone of, in leadership at the church. And for an entire week, all these people are talking about Omar and what Omar said. 
no one cluing me in on what's happening. So about a week later, I show up to the church building, going to do my thing and, you know, the activity that was going on that day. It was, uh, you know, one of the church, people from church leadership comes up to me and is like, hey, you know, you know, people don't want you kind of serving here today. And, and uh, you know, based on the conversation from last week, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, well, you know, things got a little bit heated last week. I'm like, really? Okay. I mean, I, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm Latino. When we talk, there's just a lot of passion. Anytime my dad, I know, that's what I'm saying. Anytime I talk to my dad about, like, toning down the volume with my girls because they get afraid of him sometimes, he's like, I'm not yelling. This is how I talk. And I'm like, dude, we just don't get it. We get loud, and it gets intense, and it, we don't mean it. And... All right. So apparently, this is what happened in this meeting. So I'm like, all right. And now, now I'm, like, angry because I don't know what's going on. Like, everybody thinks I know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. All these other meetings happen with all this other leadership. Finally, it comes to light. Omar, you called so-and-so this. That's not what I said. And there was other people at this meeting that were like totally blown. Like, that's not what he said. We know what he said. This is exactly what he said. I'm like, thank you. I didn't say that. If someone would have come up to me and told me, I would have apologized. It's not my fault, but I guess I would have apologized. And we would have gone on our merry way. But no, two weeks of this Stuff happens. People having misguided information about me and what was said and what I was trying to do. So we're in this last meeting. My dad's there. A couple of people from leadership are there. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of talking me through this. They're not apologizing, but you kind of get the sense that they're starting to kind of apologize because they realize things have been not good. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm out. Like, if this is how, I'm all about, I'm all cool with church discipline. It just has to be done right, and people need to know what's going on. I'm like, hey, how you guys handled me is completely off of how the Bible says you should talk to people. You know, you shouldn't gossip. You know, these, these behind people's backs, you should be upfront with people and ask people questions and get more information before you start to cast judgment on others. So I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. I know this is the church I grew up in. This is where I was born into. But I'm out. I'm gone. That was over 10 years ago. There have been many times that I've thought about these people and I've thought to myself, man, if I could ever tell them like, what's on my mind, I would feel so much better about myself. Like, there, there have been times that I'm, I'm having like, a rough day and for whatever reason these people come to mind and I just, I just take it to them like, as a mental punching bag. And it makes me feel better for a little bit but nothing's resolved, right? I think to myself, man, if I could just let them know exactly what's on my mind, you know, maybe, maybe I would feel better. Boom. Kairos moment. Who is God? What do I know about him? What does God do? What is, what is one of the things that God does? God forgives. I'm just walking through how, I'm just, this is my experience. I know this is a lot of information, and the car ride is really not that long to the office, but this is everything, you know, at 100 miles an hour going on in my head. You all know. You've been there. <clears throat> what has God done in, in light of your life, Omar? God has forgiven me and all of my sin and all of my stupidity and all of my failures. I get that. What is it that I want you to do? 
you want me to forgive these people? It's been a really long time. <clears throat> and I have had to like carry this resentment and uh, it, like, it affects how I, how I am with people. It just really does. It affects how I am with leadership. It affects how I, how, how I am with people in authority over me. It affects on how I interact with people. I only let people get so close. If you know anything about me, you know I'm the nicest guy in the world. Just, just don't try to make me do what I don't want to do. Like, it affects every aspect of, of, of life. And I'm really not like, as open as I know that I could be or that I should be with my life. I allow people to, to come in so close. So on Tuesday... Pick up my phone. I call. Call this person. Still have their number. Call this person. <clears throat> he goes to voicemail. Well, I did my part. I called somebody. No one picked up. Shucks for them. So I text my mom. Mom, do you have so-and-so's number? Yeah, here it is. Okay, that's a different number than what I called. Call up. Hello? I'm, or Hola? Hola, so-and-so, eh, Omar. Oh, I'm sorry, context. So, hi, because I have to do this all in Spanish. Hi, it's Omar. Wow, Omar. What, what, what's, I'm surprised by your call. To what do I owe the pleasure? <sighs> well, so-and-so, I just want to let you know that I've been really angry towards you for over 10 years, and I've carried this resentment in my heart for over 10 years. And uh, it's affected me as a person. I'm, I'm really tired of, of carrying this around. And uh, I, I just want to ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for being angry towards you. Like, thing. That's not, that's not forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is sitting someone down, telling them exactly where they wronged you, you tell them exactly what it is you want to do to them or say to them, and then you say, but none of those things are going to happen because I forgive you, okay? I let you in on exactly what I think and how I feel and what I want to do, but I'm not going to do that because I forgive you, right? We, we lay on the guilt. We, see, we help people see exactly what they did wrong, and then we say, but I forgive you. That's how that works. <clears throat> in that moment... I relinquish all right to get back at the people that I, I wanted to get back at for over 10 years. And it was awesome. Like he he kind of like cut me off and he's like, Omar, I kind of wrote that up to like you being young and passionate and Latin. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. But I will congratulate you. No one, people do not do what you just did. And I want to congratulate you. We're all good. Everything's fine. You want forgiveness? Sure. You know, I, I forgive you. There's, there's no issues here. There's no, no, no problem. God bless you. God bless your family. I hear that things are going great. You're growing. More kids. Okay. Okay, great. All right, thanks. I'll, uh, I'll see you, you know, I don't know, next 10 years or so. I'll give you a call. This is what Jesus did for us on our behalf on the cross. 
I believe that part of what Jesus did was, was relinquishing, getting back at humanity. If you know the story, if you know the narrative, all the way from the beginning, God experiences betrayal from Adam and Eve. He says, don't eat that fruit. They do. Sin, death, brokenness, everything that you see around our world, sickness, illness, everything comes crashing in at once into our world. And God had every right to say, reset. Let me hit the reset button. God had every right to say, you know what? Forget these people. Let's just annihilate this entire thing. Shut it all down. Because they're just never going to get it. And they're never going to listen. They're never going to understand. But he doesn't do that. He sends us on Jesus to take on the death that should have belonged to us. And God himself, Jesus himself, internalizes that aspect of forgiveness upon himself. Not in an unhealthy way. Not in a way that's like built up and then he smacks us down. You know, that negative feelings that we do when we bury things for 10 years in our hearts. He turns that upon his son and he says, instead of using the rights that I have to do this to humanity, I'm going to relinquish that. But I'm going to, t- I'm going to pour out that wrath upon my son so that these people can have direct access to God once more. This is who Jesus is. This is who God is. He didn't have to, but he did. He didn't have to give up that right, but he did. He relinquished it to save us. He relinquished us. He relinquished it so that we might have the opportunity to know God and make him known. That's what being a follower of Jesus is about. This is what being a follower of Jesus is about. See, followers, they follow. We don't get to pick the things that we like about God and that we like about Jesus, things that fit our worldview, the things that fit our belief system, the things that make us feel cuddly and warm and comfortable inside. I like John 3.16, but I could really do without Romans. I like that one small passage in like Revelation where like we all get saved and the rest of it I really just don't want to deal with any of that. We don't get to pick and choose and create for ourselves the Jesus that we want. God is who he is. Jesus is who he is. And he's done what he's done. And sometimes, a lot of times, we don't get it. We don't understand it. I don't know why I had to give that up. But I did. And I had to walk through the aspect of being able to forgive these people that have created tremendous pain in my life over a decade now. But that's what he asks of me to do. As a follower of him, he says, you need to deal with this. You need to forgive and you need to move forward and you need to move on. What about you? Who is the Jesus that you're looking to follow? Who is the Jesus that you've built up, that you want to build up in your mind and in your heart? Is he comfortable? 
Is he safe? Is he interested way more about your success? Is he interested way more about making sure that you're all okay and everybody else is abandoned? What's your Kairos moment in the midst of all this? One of mine has been to forgive. One of mine has been to relinquish. And the reason that I can do that is because of what Christ has done for me on my behalf when he died on the cross. Who is the Jesus that we're following? What does he look like? What does he do? What does he want? What is he speaking to you directly about that he's looking to change and transform and make new? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that a part of you, Lord, an aspect of you, I should say, an aspect of you is is one that forgives. Lord, though we don't deserve it, Lord, it's not though it's not our right, you offer it freely. Lord, to, to people that many times we, we just don't get it. Yet you give it to us freely. Lord, help us to see a clearer picture of who you are and what it is that you've come to do and what it is that you're trying to speak deep in our hearts, deep in our souls. Lord, we ask for forgiveness of our sins. We ask for forgiveness, God, when we make you safe and we make you neat. And we make you clean. Forgive us for those times that we try to fit you in around things that are honestly just way more important to us than you. Forgive us for that. Help us, Lord, to be people that are aware of the the ways that you're trying to intervene, interrupt, intersect, Lord, our lives to create change. Help us to be open to that change. Help us to be willing to truly follow you. Praise in your name. Amen.